0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. When you think about your financial plans, are you diversified? After the year we had in 2022, it is a really good question. Is it time you rebalanced or made other adjustments? Help make sure your investing strategy is right for you. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule your complimentary wealth checkup.
1: You are in the driver's seat of your career and you have to decide what it looks like for you. You have to make your career happen for you. You can't let your career happen to you. So whether that's being super eager and ambitious and go-getter or whether that's, you know what, I'm kind of just doing this to get a paycheck. In a few years, I'm going to start a side hustle. I'm going to do my own thing. That's your prerogative, but you have to be proactively thinking about that.
0: hey everyone i'm jean Chatsky. thank you so much for joining us today on her money over the past year the job market has just continued to defy expectations i have truly lost count of the number of times economists have spelled out doom and gloom for workers only to be blown out of the water by wage increases and a record number of new jobs and historically low unemployment rate. And yet, anecdotally, I've heard from people in my circle, I've heard from many of you that finding a job, it doesn't feel so easy right now. Even in this strong job market, people are struggling to land interviews after applying to dozens and dozens of jobs, and they're even still getting ghosted by hiring managers. Plus, there are some signs right now that the hiring is slowing down. Layoffs in industries like tech and media have continued over the past few months, and the number of people claiming unemployment benefits has also steadily started to tick up, all according to research from the Fed and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Look, I'm not going to make any concrete predictions. But all of these things do suggest that things might be cooling. So what's going on? How can workers have the most power they've had in years yet also be facing layoffs? And how can there be job openings everywhere but your applications never get a response? And what can we do to prepare when it feels like the market might change at any moment. Joining me to help unpack all of this is Eliana Goldstein. She is a certified professional coach, founder of her own company, Eliana Goldstein Coaching, which helps people create fulfilling career paths that don't leave them dreading Monday mornings or what my husband calls the Monday moogies. She has coached thousands of job seekers on how to advance at their current companies, negotiate for better benefits, or transition into completely new careers. And I love this stat, her clients see their salaries grow an
1: average of 20%. Eliana, welcome. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about this very, very important topic.
0: I know that you worked at different tech and media companies for about a decade before you felt completely burnt out. Tell us about your career path and how you landed on starting your own coaching business.
1: Sure. Yes, I would love to. And I think probably my story will resonate with a lot of listeners. So, I graduated in 2010, which was still sort of seen fallout from the recession, and it was just an uneasy time in the market. And I remember I just wanted to get a job. I didn't care what the job was, but I just wanted to get a job. And I actually got a job off of Craigslist, throwback for people who remember, as a marketing coordinator. And I was a marketing major, so I was excited about that, and it made a lot of sense to me. So I started there, it was a small startup, an e-commerce startup and It kind of took off from there. I began as a marketing coordinator. I moved into account management. From account management, I moved into sales. I grew in my sales career, your typical career ladder, right? Everything that we desire on paper, and that makes us feel good and excited. And while I was growing and checking the boxes, I always felt very disconnected from what I was doing. I felt like I was misplaced to a degree, but because I was making the salary and I had the good titles. I felt like I had to stick it out. And I felt like it was normal to feel like you disliked your job, like so many others, right? We kind of get told this narrative, oh, work is work. You do it for the paycheck. That's what you have. Like you stick it out. So I kept doing that. And I would pivot. So I was working at an ad tech company. I moved to a big online publisher. I went back to the startup space, thinking that with every one of these moves, maybe I would find what I was looking for, but it just wasn't happening. And I think I just really reached a point of burnout where I said to myself, I cannot do this for another 10 years, let alone two or three years. There has to be something better. There has to be something more aligned and more fulfilling for me. So I kind of ventured out and decided to go on an exploratory journey. I really leaned into the world of personal development and professional development. I did a ton of networking, market research, discovering new fields and new possibilities. And I came across the world of coaching and really felt like this hits on my skill sets. This hits on the impact that I want to make. And I would have never imagined starting my own business in a million years. I was shy, I was quiet, I was often self-conscious and worried about what other people thought about me. But it was this almost serendipitous feeling of something just felt right. So I started the business originally as a side hustle, which many people do. You know, I wasn't ready to go full-time at that time. And then eventually when it started growing and scaling, I kind of just jumped off the deep end and went full-time. That was the very end of 2019 right before 2020, right before that little pandemic we all remember. And I've been doing it full-time ever since and feel very aligned, feel very grateful that I was able to figure out what makes the most sense for me and my own skill sets. And that's why I'm really impassioned about being able to help others find the same, whether that's in their own business, whether that's in the corporate world. But I really do believe, like you said, like the Monday Mookies, I think you you said your husband calls it. Like I don't believe that any of us should have to live a life where we feel that dread Monday morning, right? Our life's too short to do that. So that's a little about my story.
0: Yeah. No, it's a a great story. And it's also clear that you took your time in figuring it out. Yes. You know, you did the research, you worked the process, and I respect that. I think that that's a really smart way to go about it. What are you seeing right now in the job market? Has it become more difficult to find a job recently?
1: I think so. I think that it's become increasingly difficult over the last few years, right? I think if you look post-pandemic, there was just a massive shift in how people hire and how people really look for jobs. I think we're still seeing fallout from the great resignation, right? I think that there's definitely still impacts from that. And from there on out, there's just it's just been trend after trend of quiet quitting and all these various things that you're seeing on TikTok and all of that comes into play. And I think too with Gen Z now becoming larger in the workforce and what they expect out of work and what they expect out of their employers, that has an impact too in how people hire and how people look for work. So I think we're just seeing a lot of changes and it absolutely has become more difficult and where It used to be, you know, kind of typical. You have a good, strong resume, you apply for jobs, you send in an application, you get a few responses. It's just not the case anymore. And you have to do more to stand out ultimately.
0: So, if that's not the case, what is the case?
1: I think that, so you were kind of hitting on this earlier. You were talking about people are applying for jobs and they don't hear anything in response. So first of all, I think a lot of the times people don't realize how hard it actually is to get an interview. So you, on average, a job posting might get upwards of 100, 200, 300 applications. They're generally bringing in maybe five people to be interviewed, right? So already right there, the percentages are so low. And then you throw in the competition that is happening right now. The fallout from even this past month with the banks and the tech layoffs, you have an extremely large pool of very talented employees who are all looking for work right now. And we see there are some sectors coming back, like hospitality is coming back, all those various places. But there are still a lot of places where we're seeing this big fallout. So you are going up against extremely talented people who were laid off, not because they're not good at their job, but because companies are cutting back and they're tightening things and having to be more conscientious about it. So you really have to figure out how can I ultimately stand out? What are ways that I can find hiring managers in unique ways, really showcase my values, show how I will be a more successful candidate as compared to that pool of talent that's out there?
0: Well, and if I'm your client, what are the different ways that you are telling me to do that?
1: So I generally stay away from the apply for jobs online. I think that it's a time suck. And often, you're, you're exactly like you said, you're not going to see results. So you're sitting there, you're applying to hundreds of applications. And even if you get one interview, the chance that that's going to lead to a job is pretty low. So it's really about figuring out. I, what I like to think of is the company first approach. So let's think about the companies that you're really excited about. I generally recommend coming up with a list of maybe 10 to 15. And then you want to find at those companies who are the people already in the roles that you're excited about. So at this point too, you also have to be clear about what you're targeting. And that's a big mistake job seekers make and why they often don't get responses. People have no clarity on the roles. They'll say, oh, I want to be in project management, maybe a little communications. I could also do a marketing manager role. Those are completely different roles in different industries. If you're trying to apply to all of those, there's no way you're niching yourself down enough to really effectively communicate your value for each of those roles. So you have to get clear on what your unique value proposition is and what you specifically want to target, and then find the people who are already doing that. And then the goal is relationship building, right? How do I get in front of that person? How do I even get 10 or 15 minutes of their time, even if it's just on a Zoom call, to be able to do a little market research, really understand what they're looking for, what their role encompasses, what their team's goals are. And then how can I showcase how my skill sets align with that, right? And building that virtually referral opportunity.
0: I am part of a mentoring network at my alma mater, and we recently had our annual lunch where we meet with younger students and talk about the job hunting process. And I know I say every single year, you don't have to wait until a job is posted to apply. Right. I mean, you want your resume to be on the desk the day that somebody quits. And I know that that sounds like it's, you know, so much serendipity, but actually it happens all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%, and I think if anything, that's why you don't wanna apply for jobs online. What people don't realize is there are a lot of fake job postings these days, and that's what's happening a lot. That's why so many people are getting ghosted or they're not getting any responses. Companies sometimes put up a job posting just for the heck of it, to see, oh, let's see what type of responses we get to this, or because they're required to post it even though they already have an internal candidate identified for that role. So you could be spending all this time applying 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 and that is virtually a fake job posting that no one is ever going to hire you for so it really is about getting ahead of the job posting right that's gonna give you the best really leg up to be able to get a job and you can only do that if you're building relationships with people first Given
0: that the market feels very finicky right now, if you've got clients who are trying to decide, is it the time to transition careers because I'm not particularly happy or to start looking for a new job, what are you telling them?
1: So I think there are a few different signs that make it clear it's time for a new job. One of them, and I know this sounds obvious, but I don't think people really think about this, is what percentage of your work are you really disengaged from? Are you just constantly, it's like, you know, pushing yourself, it's an uphill battle, you hate it, you're dreading it, it's making you miserable, while there's always going to be a percentage of your work that you don't enjoy, if you feel like 80% of the time you're miserable and there's nothing you can do to really change that because, you know, you can consider a lateral change, having a conversation with your manager, but if nothing is really moving the needle, that's probably a clear sign that your skill sets could be better leveraged elsewhere. So that's something. Another thing is feeling like you're no longer in alignment with the company's mission, right? Maybe there's been a change in leadership. Maybe the company's been acquired. The original mission that you joined and that you were inspired by is no longer the mission of the company, or you're feeling like your values are not aligned with the company's values. That is a surefire way to feel burnt out. So that's another one. And then in terms of your physical health, right? I have clients who come to me and say, I can hardly sleep, I'm getting headaches every day, I feel the stress is deteriorating me, that is never acceptable, right? If that is happening, that is a clear sign, it's time to look for something new. So I think those are a few signs, but I also do believe that there are ways to generally change your environment, right? If you feel like your skill sets aren't being leveraged in the best way possible, sit down and have that conversation with your manager and say, you know, I've been doing a lot of reflecting and I recognize I'm really good at this. I can really bring value on these types of projects. Is there a way that we can update my workload to be able to better reflect that, right? Or maybe there is a lateral move you can make and into an entirely different team. So sometimes it's about being strategic and doing some internal career planning, especially if you like your company and especially if you feel like you're not quite ready to fully make that leap. So you want to be thinking about those things as well.
0: If you are in the situation that you outlined where you're either feeling underutilized or overstressed. Mm -hmm. I imagine that your advice is not just quit. It's search, then quit. I mean, this is not that market where you, I don't think you should ever quit your job until you have another one, quite frankly.
1: Honestly, I would agree with that. I think, you know, going back to your physical health, if it's really deteriorating and it's in a bad place and and look, if you can afford it, right, if you've been able to and I'm sure you've talked a lot about it, if you've been able to put aside a little bit of a nest egg and you're clear about your runway to be able to take time off and find a job, then that's fine, right? But it's not just an on-a-whim decision that you make. You have to be thoughtful about it. But I do believe that it's always best to be looking for a job when you do have a job because that way you don't get into that scarcity mindset of, I just need to take whatever I can get. When you do that, that's when people take roles they're not excited about and then they find themselves in the exact same situation in another six months from now where they want to start looking again, right? So we want to be thoughtful and conscientious about what our next move is going to be and give ourselves time to find it.
0: I know that a lot of your coaching, Eliana, focuses on building confidence so that the women that you work with feel comfortable applying for jobs that they don't think they're 100% qualified for, which is one of those big differences between women and men. I'd love to know your strategies for instilling this confidence in your clients. But before you get to that, we are going to take a very quick break. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. When you take a look at your financial plans, are you diversified the way you want to be? And when is the last time you rebalanced your portfolio or made sure you're invested in the assets and allocation appropriate for you? Look, we all need to make tweaks and adjustments to our financial lives, sometimes small ones, sometimes big ones. Thankfully, Edelman Financial Engines can help no matter what change your money might need most. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to learn more and schedule your complimentary wealth checkup. And we are back with Eliana Goldstein, millennial career coach and founder of Eliana Goldstein Coaching. Confidence. We could all use more of it, quite frankly.
1: Mm Mm-hmm hmm Yes, we absolutely can. And I always say that the people who get the job are not the most qualified. They're the most confident, right? And you see that come through in interviews, and in informational meetings. That level of confidence really attracts people ultimately. So being able to build that foundationally in your job search is going to be very important. So we were talking before about checking all the boxes and qualifications on, on job descriptions. So one important thing to know, and I think this just innately builds confidence, is that Hiring managers don't actually want someone who checks all the boxes, because what ends up happening is those people plateau really quickly, right? There's no learning curve, there's no opportunity for growth for them, and then they stagnate and they get really bored, and then they quit. So generally, hiring managers and recruiters want someone who really meets the kind of basic qualifications or the minimum qualifications for the role, but who really show that ability to be a learner and to absorb and to ask the right questions, and then they know that person is going to be stimulated to want to grow further. So you want to remember that, and I always tell my clients, if you check every single box on the job description, you don't even want to apply for that right? That, that's too much. I generally say hitting at least 60 to 70% of the job description. So that's really important to remember. And another thing too is, another, it's simple, right? Generally confidence mindsets are just little simple tweaks that you need to make in your mind. If you don't apply for the job, then they don't even have the opportunity to rule you out, right? So Don't pretend you're the hiring manager. Don't act like you know whether you're qualified for this role because you don't. That's not your job. The only surefire way to guarantee you're not going to get an opportunity is to not apply in the first place, right?
0: What are those little tweaks in your mind that you make to, even if you don't feel particularly confident, come across as confident?
1: So I'm going to say, what the you know, the age-old trick, but I very much believe in it, it's a fake it till you make it, right? I think that people are fearful of doing that because they think they come off as inauthentic, but generally your words, your behaviors, the way that you speak about yourself, even if you don't really believe it, your brain believes it. But you have to verbalize it, right? So even if you're saying, you know, I'm a super qualified candidate, I have X years of experience, I've done all these projects, and in the back of your mind you're going, oh my God, like, is that really even true? The more you say it out loud, the more your brain starts to believe it, and the more then you start to believe it. But you have to verbalize it to be able to create the thoughts and the beliefs to actually attach to those thoughts and beliefs, right? So it's generally thought leads to feeling, leads to action. So if your thoughts are really negative, the feeling you're gonna have is really negative and then it's generally gonna lead to a negative action or no action at all. Versus if you have a positive thought, I'm really smart, I can do this, you're gonna have a positive feeling, wow, I feel good about myself, I feel confident, and then you're gonna have a positive action. I'm more likely to apply for that role. So it really starts with those thoughts and just telling yourself something even when you don't really believe it in that moment.
0: So you're telling yourself this story of confidence so that you will apply for the job. What do you have to do tactically? What are the, the best resumes, the best cover letters? What are they saying and doing these days that's new and different?
1: So I think that really strong resumes, look, I think, I will also say, I don't think resumes pull as much weight as they used to. I actually think a LinkedIn is much more important or some type of special project you can do can often be more important. But a really strong resume is what I like to think of as value-oriented versus task-oriented. So typical resumes will read like a job description, you know, put together decks for client services team, as opposed to really depicting the value behind that. Put together comprehensive decks for the client services team so that sales representatives can go out to market and increase, you know, upsell clients by 20% quarter over quarter, right? I know it's tangible when you talk from a sales perspective, but I think often people don't realize that every single task you're doing has a value behind it. Otherwise, your company wouldn't have you doing it. So when you're going through your resume, you want to think about it as task plus value added. And if it's very task heavy, then you need to build in that value, whether it's very tangible or whether it's more intangible, but it needs to have that baked in. And that's, those are the best resumes.
0: And how is the cover letter different? I mean, I've had people tell me, oh, I shouldn't even bother writing cover letters anymore because nobody reads them. I read them.
1: Yeah. And I was about to say, so I don't disagree. I think that A lot of people don't read cover letters anymore. However, there will be the handful of people who do. So if there's an opportunity to include a cover letter, you should, right? So the way that I like to think about a cover letter is your resume is very much about you. What have I done? What have I accomplished? Your cover letter should be more about the company. Why are you passionate about them? What excites you? What have you noticed about them? Of course, you're gonna hit on yourself as well and why your value really aligns with that, but they don't wanna see you just repeating all the things that are in your resume. They can read that already. So you wanna think about differentiating that way. Make it more about the company and the role.
0: And if your LinkedIn is really the place that people are going to find you, and it's where I found people recently, how do you write a kick-ass LinkedIn?
1: So there are a few things. So from a LinkedIn perspective, you wanna think of it as almost like a search engine, right? When recruiters are searching for people on LinkedIn, they're generally using keywords. So you wanna think about what are the keywords that are most impactful or most important to the jobs that I'm targeting and how do I build those in? So one great way to do that is in your headline. So right underneath you know, your picture, you have your name and generally the company that you work at. I like to then include three to four keywords relevant to the roles that you're targeting, followed by some type of high-level I help statement, right? So it might be like, I help tech companies build streamlined processes to 7x their revenue. Something very high level, but that depicts what your core value is. So even just changing your headline is gonna make you a lot more searchable. So that's one big thing. And then your about section is another one. So I like to differentiate your LinkedIn from your resume too, by making it more of your career story, right? What brought you here? why are you excited about this field again how do you add value especially for my pivoters this is where you get to display why you're making this pivot why it makes so much sense and why you're so excited about it so really it's that headline that about section and making sure that you're building in those keywords and and pulling them out of the actual job descriptions that you're most interested in at at a very basic level you really have to do that
0: we are Very quickly, coming to the end of our time here, Eliana, but I wanted to just come back to something that you brought up earlier in our conversation, which is Gen Z and their expectations of the marketplace. I think that a lot of people have different expectations of work, certainly than I did when I entered the working world, but then all the different generations in between. What do you think is reasonable? right now? What should it look like? What does it look like? And when are we expecting too little or too much?
1: Such a good question. And honestly, I think about this all the time as I work with my various clients. I think it's going to vary from company to company and, and industry to industry, right? I don't think there's one universal way that things should be or shouldn't be. And I think what's important is as an individual to figure out what's most important to you, right? Are you someone who's very motivated by vertical movement, by being able to get promoted and see that title increase and see that paycheck increase? And if that's the case, then you shouldn't be doing trends like quiet quitting, right? You should be focusing on how do I understand my core value and how do I get in front of the right people at my company to be able to share that value? But if you're someone who kind of just says, you know what, like. I'm working to live and, you know, I kind of want to do my own thing in a few years. I don't see so much longevity here. Then you obviously have to figure out, you know, you you don't want to get fired like we've talked about before. Like you need to still make sure that you're adding value and accomplishing your goals, but you might not be going in that same kind of gung-ho all for this, what can I do to really effectively advocate and get me to my next level? So I think it's about an understanding does that make sense in the industry you're in, right? Because there are some industries that are far more competitive, that are really looking for those more ambitious, excited, eager professionals. So you really have to figure out what works for you, what you want, what your long-term career goals are. And I think it's really about that career planning. I, I put such an emphasis on I've been talking about it a lot on social media this past week that you are in the driver's seat of your career and you have to decide what it looks like for you. You have to make your career happen for you. You can't let your career happen to you. So whether that's being super eager and ambitious and go-getter or whether that's, you know what, I'm kind of just doing this to get a paycheck. In a few years, I'm going to start a side hustle. I'm going to do my own thing. That's your prerogative, but you have to be proactively thinking about that. And I think employers need to think about that too, right? And need to think about understanding what what their demographic wants and who they're appealing to and what are the values that are going to get them excited when they're thinking about hiring and bringing people on.
0: We have come through so many changes in the working world over the past year, year and a half, two years, right? Through the pandemic, into the Great Resignation, back to quiet quitting, to the point where people who resigned or quit quietly are now sorry that they did that. Yeah. What do you think we are looking toward in the next couple of years?
1: That's such a good question. I think that ultimately, I think we'll even out a little bit. I think that people are going to recognize that, especially with Gen Z, that it's much more kind of about, like I was saying before, like it's about aligning with your values, right? And I think companies are going to recognize that they have to do a better job of engaging employees. And generally, that means what is internal growth trajectory, right? How do I facilitate internal growth plans for my employees? And then same thing from an employee perspective, being more forthcoming about what it is that's important to me from a career planning perspective. So I think that we're kind of going to somehow meet each other in the middle where individuals, Gen Z, Millennials, whomever it is, recognize that like they have to be clear about what it is that they want and they have to put in that effort. And I think that companies are gonna realize that they have to do a better job of keeping employees engaged, which means kind of catering to various employees and knowing that what works for one person isn't going to work for another. I don't really know what that trend would be called or exactly what it would look like or how it would play out, but that's sort of what I think might happen in the next few years.
0: We will keep all of our listeners posted. Eliana, such good tips. Thank you so much for doing this today.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me. This was great to chat with you.
0: Before we dive into our mailbag, a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, you guys, it's Jean. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love because I love it. Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business and economics and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, even Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics like whether AI has a sense of humor and whether two CEOs are better than one. If you are curious like me and just looking to better understand the world around you, you will find it on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. And we are back for our mailbag. My daughter, Julia Chatsky is with me for this segment. Hey, Jules. Hello, hello. So I have to apologize to people who are listening because you got your allergies from me and I am just like dying mm-hmm. today. The spring is brutal. It is. a beautiful.
2: Yeah, but br- like my throat, my eyes, my nose. I apologize, <laughs> people. All right. We are back with
0: questions. I believe our first question is coming to us today from Jenny.
2: Do you have that one? Yep. I got it. All right. She writes, Hey, Jean. I was just told that my workplace accidentally disclosed my social security number. They're going to pay for credit monitoring. But which do you all recommend? I also just rose my credit at the main three. But what else should I be doing? Any advice or help would be appreciated. I am freaking out. Jenny, I am sorry that this happened to
0: you, but I can't tell you how often this happens. Not your employer disclosing your social security number, but data breaches and privacy breaches. And I'm not sure exactly when the deadline is, but anybody who has used Facebook in the last 16 years should be applying for some money from Facebook because there is $700 million plus on the table that they are going to disperse to their customers because they've had privacy and data breaches. And so don't freak out. This happens and you can and are actually taking the right steps to protect yourself. what we're really afraid about when our Social Security and other personal information gets disseminated without our permission is not that somebody's going to get our credit card number and they're going to make a charge and we are going to have to pay for that charge because credit cards and debit cards have zero liability policies. As long as you're looking at your bills and you notice this charge that wasn't yours, you just call the credit card company and you say, hey, not mine, and they will go through the process of removing it for you. The big fear, and I know this is where Jenny is going, is full-blown identity theft, which, just like in that Melissa McCarthy movie, is when somebody pretends to be you, right? Do you remember that episode of Friends with Manana? No, but I remember the Melissa McCarthy movie. All right. Well, there was an episode of Friends, too, where this woman pretended to be Monica Geller, and then Mm. Monica met her and decided she liked her, and so she told her her name was Manana, and they became good friends until the woman got caught and actually went to jail. And the fear is that somebody won't be so nice, and they'll take your personal information and they'll use it to apply for your tax refund or get a job in your name pretending to be you or apply for a mortgage and that kind of full-blown identity theft is really really difficult to shut down it can take years and it can cost thousands if not tens of thousands of dollars so you do want credit monitoring they're all basically the same lifelock is good But all of the three major credit bureaus, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, also offer a form of credit monitoring. If you want credit monitoring and you don't want to pay for it, Credit Karma has a free credit monitoring product. So it's out there. You should do it. You should pay attention. But freezing your credit is better than credit monitoring because when your credit is frozen, nobody... Not even you can get credit in your name. And that's because in order for credit to be issued to you, a credit card company or a mortgage company or a car loan company has to get a look at your credit report. And when your credit is frozen, the three credit bureaus will not release your credit report to anybody, even you. And so if you want to apply for credit, then you're going to have to lift the freeze on your credit report, and then it will go back into place. It's a temporary lift. So you freeze your credit with each of the credit bureaus individually. Again, it's Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. Just go to their websites. You can follow the breadcrumbs. Usually it's under a button that says security or fraud. Put a credit freeze on your report. They are going to ask for your social security number, so don't be afraid to give it to them in this instance. And in some cases, they may give you a PIN, a personal identification number that you are going to have to remember or write down or put somewhere safe in order to lift the freeze on your credit. So just remember to do that, but don't freak out. This happens all the time. If you go down the rabbit hole and start looking at how much of your personal information is actually available online or how many times you've been victim of a data breach, it's more than any of us want to think about. So the only thing that we can really
2: do these days is be vigilant. Nobody else can be Jenny, Jenny. I think you answered her question. I think I answered her question. Yeah. You have not frozen your credit, though. No, you told me to freeze my credit. I just need to learn how to freeze my credit. I just told you how to freeze oh, credit. Oh, right. That's what you're saying. Yep. I'm going to freeze my credit. There you go. Okay. Our next question comes from Alyssa. She writes, I have a ton, to me, of credit card debt, and I feel like I'm not making any headway. My credit score used to be about 720, but in the past two months, I've missed payments on each card. Dark time, personally, and it just got lost with me trying to survive things. Now, my score is 660. Still not terrible, but lower than it's been most of my life. I've stopped using the cards, and I've always just tried to pay over the minimum, even if it was only a little bit. But I feel like with interest, I'm not making any headway and just getting buried deeper." Card number one has a $6,600 balance with 26% interest. Card number two has an $8,700 balance with 25% interest. I'm considering a personal loan through my bank, Navy Federal, balance transfer, or some sort of debt consolidation. To be honest, taking care of my finances is new to me, even though I'm in my mid-30s. I know a little bit about each option, basically what I could Google, but I'm really looking for some advice and personal opinions. Jules, does that sound familiar at all? Sure does. I got my first credit card almost a year ago, and I went a little heavy at first, and it was a reality check when you have to pay it off, and then you have to realize, oh, you shouldn't be putting that much on it, and it's been a journey. (laughs) One month at a time, trying to pay it off in full. One foot in front of the other, Alyssa. I'm right there with you. Okay. Here's the thing,
0: Alyssa. We're going to get you out of this. I know it sounds like a ton of money, but you are not alone. Right now, in this country, credit card debt has actually surpassed the excess savings that people have for the first time since 2020. And that's because we got all this stimulus money through the pandemic. And at this point, we're facing inflation. And people have just run through those savings and they're starting to really pile up credit card debt at a rapid rate. It's something that personally I'm pretty worried about. So I'm very glad, Alyssa, that you are taking steps to just wrap your brain around this, wrap your hands around this, and, and deal with the problem. And the other thing that I want to tell you is that I did this too. I When I got out of college, I racked up credit card debt equal to a half year's salary. Jeez. Yeah. And now, I was only making $11,000 a year at the time, but you got to put it in perspective. $11,000 a year was supposed to be enough to pay my rent and live on at that time, which it wasn't. I had a, another job, but I got it in over my head. I got out over my skis, however you want to say it. And we all, many of us do this from time to time, and we just need to make a plan to rein it in. So let's deal with this in two ways, Alyssa. First, tactically, you're thinking about doing the right things. When you have a high interest rate debt, if you can lower the interest rate, it makes it easier and cheaper to pay those debts off. And so you can do that with a personal loan through Navy Federal. Navy Federal is a credit union. It's the country's largest credit union. and so. I would look at what sort of interest rate they would offer you on a personal loan. With a balance transfer, you move the money to a different credit card that you apply for. And in that case, you are looking at typically a teaser rate where you have a 0% interest rate for 12 or 18 months that you then use to really pay off the debt. And when you say some sort of debt consolidation, that's really what those things are. Before you deal with a quote-unquote debt consolidation company, I would deal with the balance transfer, or I would talk to the folks at Navy Federal because credit unions do this. They are consumer-friendly when it comes to helping you through situations like this. So lower the interest rate as much as you can, and then we're going to pay off these debts' highest interest rate on down. So if you end up with one debt, let's say, with a 12% interest rate and one debt with a 6% interest rate, you're going to put all your extra money to paying off that 12% interest rate debt and make the minimum payment on the other one until that higher rate debt is paid off. Then you move to the lower rate debt. That's called a debt avalanche and that's just how we approach this. The problem with that answer is that it is not gonna solve your problem. It doesn't deal with the why this has happened to you. And I know that you said dark time personally and you just trying to survive things. Assuming that the dark times have cleared, you need to start tracking your spending and really looking at what's coming in, what's going out, and where it's going and by doing that you put yourself back into the driver's seat you gain control over where your money is going and you're going to see things that you don't like you're going to see that you are spending way more money than you thought on food or way more money than you thought on Ubers or way more money than you thought on other things that are just really personal to you. And you're going to have to decide what's important and then make changes. But by tracking, you get the power to amass a lot more money and then throw it at these debts. And the last thing I want you to think about, I don't know what your job situation is, but when I racked up all that debt, I got a side gig teaching SATs. Uh, And it was the way out for me. And so if there's a way to pick up some sort of a side gig, nights, weekends, just temporarily so that you can wipe the slate clean, that's what I would look at. And if by any chance you got a tax refund this year, throw it at the highest interest rate debt. That should, if your tax refund is average, get rid of about $3,000 of it right off the bat. But you are not alone. You should not feel alone. If you need help following the flows of your money, check out our Finance Fix coaching program. It's Finance Fix with two X's, financefix.com. We match you with a team of people who are going through the same situation as well as a coach for some one-on-one work. And that'll provide the accountability that you need to really get through this. Should she freeze her credit? I think everybody should freeze your credit. And I think the question for her is not freezing her credit, but freezing her credit cards. Mm. And some people actually go as far as to put their cards in a block of ice and put them in the freezer, literally, which doesn't help if you've memorized your credit card numbers, which many people do. But she says she stopped using the cards, and you don't want to use them at this point.
2: Thank you, Jules. Thank you. Always fun doing this with you, Mom. Thanks. And if you
0: have money-related questions, we would love to hear from you. You can send them to us. Email us at mailbag at hermoney.com. And now we're going to take a quick break.
1: I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II.
0: They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker.
1: We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski
2: in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get
0: your podcasts. We are back with your money tip of the week. Managing your own money can be complicated, and it gets even more complicated once you throw your partner's finances into the mix. It can be hard to decide who should pay for what, or how much you should be responsible for each other's debts, a good place to start is having a joint account for shared expenses while still maintaining your own individual accounts. Once that's set up, talk with your partner about how you're going to split those shared expenses fairly if you make $70,000 a year and your partner makes thirty, for example, it makes sense to split things 70-30. Both of you can set up direct deposit from your individual accounts to that shared account based on your percentages. For more insights into managing finances as a couple, visit hermoney.com. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Eliana Goldstein for breaking down the job market and everything we can do to keep building our careers during tough times. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. Our producer is Chelsea Zhu. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk soon.